This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The wide changes expected to occur on the relationship between the United States and Cuba did not occur. It seems that many of the policies that President Obama put in place will remain. But tourism to Cuba is going to be affected. Individuals will have a much more difficult time going to the island nation, whereas group travel should only be slightly impacted. And there are other elements of the new process that are seen as both good and bad on both sides. To discuss what did or did not happen, we're going to be joined in just a minute by Gustavo Arnavat, who is Senior Advisor on Prosperity and Development at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, We have spoken about this topic quite often over the last year and a half, especially since President Obama made the move to start to open relations with Cuba, and seemingly the door had been opened almost to as wide a spot as it ever had been before. There have been a lot of conjecture that President Trump was going to limit a lot of what President Obama had done. But according to the latest news reports and what President uh, Trump announced just about a week ago, many of those policies are going to be going to remain. What he is most concerned about are elements of business going to Cuba that would directly impact the Cuban regime and the Cuban military. There are many elements inside of Cuba where funds go directly to the military element and not to the people themselves. That ends up being one of the biggest concerns, more so than ever before. We have talked quite often on this show about the investment that some companies are already, or I should say have been willing to make, in Cuba. One of the areas most concerning for companies right now is the fact that they could make this investment in Cuba, but then again, it could very well be pulled back by the Cuban government. They want to have assurances that there will be continuing open relations and open doors with Cuba. One of the areas which looked like it was going to be a very popular area was going to be air travel. Many airlines started to put together deals to go to Cuban airports, to the airport in Havana. But those have started to pare back as the airlines have not seen the want to go to Cuba by consumers on vacations as much as they had expected. Gustavo Arnavat joins us right now. Gustavo, great to have you back with us. Good morning, Dan. So, you. so you. thank you. Your reaction to what was or was not done by President Trump recently? Well, I have to tell you, a lot of us were, uh, you know, were fretting over the last uh, five or six months while this review was going on. Those of us who believe that engagement is really the only way forward uh, were pleasantly surprised that the, um, you know, the the, uh, the revisions were not as drastic as they could have been. Uh, having said that, this is definitely not a step forward. Uh, we, we, of course, have to wait to see how the Cuban government is going to respond. Uh, so far, uh, of course, it's been a, you know, fairly negative. Uh, on the other hand, they've also said they want to continue to engage with the United States you know, where possible. But this will, have a, this will certainly have an effect on the number, immediate effect on the number of U.S. travelers going to Cuba, um, which, is, of course, one of the objectives of the new policy, which is to limit uh, Americans going to, uh, to Cuba. 
um, as well as U.S. companies doing business with uh, Cuban companies that are controlled or owned by the military or the intelligence services. Well, the, the air travel is an interesting uh, point to, to pick up on at this point, because when these policies were starting to roll out under President Obama, a lot of the airlines showed quite a bit of interest. Uh, we've seen a variety of stories, especially in the last month or two, that airlines are pairing back the numbers of flights that they are are, uh, are sending down to, to Cuba, specifically to Havana. So are we seeing lack of interest or are we seeing concern by the airlines or maybe even a combination of both? Well, I think what we saw is um, U.S. airlines trying to estimate as best possible with very little data what the demand would be. And remember that when the routes were first um, you know, uh, uh, you know, given out, uh, they were not from the United States to Havana. Uh, that was the second round of routes. Right. But there were the cities uh, where there were, quite frankly, fewer, you know, fewer travelers, nonetheless, U.S., uh, airlines wanted to, particip- to participate because it was such a new market. So I think what you saw was an adjustment to the realities. Um, ha- having said that, yes, uh, two or three airlines paired. Most of the airlines paired back. Uh, two or three canceled their services, you know, going forward. But uh, a month ago, I believe it was JetBlue and Delta stepped up and said they wanted to pick up those routes. Now, of course, uh, I think they're going to. They need to. Uh, to you know, to uh, sharpen their pencils and take a look and see how demand is going to be affected by the new rules. Let's dig into just the, the elements that seemingly are greatest concern by this administration and the fact that there they have the belief that the a lot of the money that it ends up being funneled into business into Cuba ends up in the pockets of the government, whether that be the military, the government itself, whatever it might be. How how on point is that, or is there some some uh, some leeway in terms of interpretation there? So about uh, 25, 30 years ago, when the Cuban government decided that it needed to um, increase foreign investment uh, as a way of moving the economy, uh, a determination was made that the military – the Cuban military was in the best position uh, to help run those businesses. Um, the, the, obviously, there was uh, Raul Castro, who is now the president of Cuba, right. who was the head of the Cuban military. Um, the, the, the military had proven itself in Angola and around the world. And so there was a lot of um, you know, very high expectations about the uh, efficiency of the, uh, of the, of the Cuban uh, military. Uh, also, um, there was discussion that the, the military was – uh, you know, not as subject to uh, corruption as perhaps civilians might be. And so the determination was made that it was going to be the military that would do that. Uh, 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 several large holding companies were set up that are run or owned by the military. So it is true that about 50 or 60 percent, and by the way, most of those companies are involved in the tourism uh, sector, which is such an important sector for Cuba. So it is right. true that somewhere between 50 and 60 percent of the Cuban economy uh, is basically run by the military. We're joined by Gustavo Arnavat, Senior Advisor on Prosperity and Development at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He was also a member of the Obama administration, representing the United States at the Inter-American Development Bank. And also joining us right now is Ralph Patino, who's an attorney based in Miami. He's also an entrepreneur, and he also playing a role in the Obama administration as well. Ralph, great to have you joining in. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you with us. Uh, Your reaction to what did and did not happen with President Trump the other day? I um, well, we anticipated that he was going to uh, do a, a complete rollback of anything and everything that uh, we did, uh, that uh, uh, President Obama did down in in Cuba. Uh, however, he focused on on two main issues. 
Uh, one was to uh, reduce the amount of U.S. tourism for the uh, country, uh, which I think is is a tremendous mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, part of our strategy in order to soften the regime uh, was to uh, create more engagement. Uh, and the second uh, issue that he attacked was to reduce the amount of money that would uh, flow over to Cuba. Uh, again, uh, the only people that was going to hurt are the 11 million uh, private citizens in Cuba that, that are not part of the uh, government. And uh, so those two things combined, I, I think, are going to have a chilling effect on um, the, the travel to Cuba by U.S. citizens, and uh, they're going to have it's going to have a monetary effect on the island itself. Uh, with and and he says we never got anything in return. Um, we got a lot in return. Uh, we you know the Cubans after 2014 were able to buy and sell private property, buy and sell real estate open up their own businesses, um, whether it be restaurants, garages, um, you know, seamstresses. Uh, it's amazing, uh, and, and, and you'll only know that if you go down there and see it for yourself. How much business investment was there from a- entities outside of Cuba in that short period of time, you know, after the Obama administration made that statement that they wanted to open the doors with Cuba? Well, I can only tell you that uh, I was the, one of the founders of the U.S. Cuba Business Council through the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and uh, both uh, Jody Bond and myself uh, d- decided, well, we are going to uh, create corporate and uh, individual memberships uh, for this organization, right. and we had at least 50 Fortune 500 companies, five zero. Fortune 500 companies join us in the first 10 days. And uh, we took down uh, maybe three or four groups of Fortune 500 companies, uh, the likes of General Electric, uh, Marriott. uh, I mean, everyone went down there, and uh, everyone was ready to pull the trigger and and get their hands dirty and and try and uh, help the country out. We are joined by Gustavo Arnavat and uh, Ralph Patino on the phone. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I I guess, Gustavo, the the question is then, with some of these, uh, these changes having the impact that they will, what is kind of the next step for Cuba at this point? Well, um, and let me let me just add something to what to what Ralph has said. Okay. Is that there's certainly a lot of interest in the part of U.S. companies. However, you know, two years just isn't quite frankly enough. Uh, the embargo, of course, remains in place, yep. and that's a huge impediment to U.S. companies doing business in Cuba. And then I think we have to be frank: the Cuban government was fairly slow in reacting to some of the proposals put forward by some you know very good uh, U.S. U.S. companies. Um, I think the next steps um, will depend on. Well, first of all, we have to wait for the regulations. Uh, to be issued by the Treasury Department uh, and Commerce. Uh, the devil will be in the details. Uh, and my understanding is that uh, there will be, you know, there will be a lot of lobbying uh, to narrowly tailor uh, those, um, you know, uh, those regulations in order to have 
the least impact, you know, going forward, meaning uh, those uh, folks in, on Capitol Hill especially, but, uh, you know, el- elsewhere in the private sector that want to continue to engage in Cuba uh, will try to narrow narrow their, their effect. Um, I think what is also important is what's going to be the stance of the Trump administration going forward. Clearly, under the Obama administration, um, the the approach was to try to engage as much as as much as possible, uh, and perhaps not criticize the Cuban government as much as possible if it would get in the way of um, of those negotiations and that kind of engagement. The Trump administration is less likely, uh, probably you know, going to be much more impatient uh, with the Cuban government than the Obama administration was. And a lot depends on what the Cubans want to do. Uh, Bruno, uh, Bruno Rodriguez, who is the Minister of Foreign Affairs, had a press conference yesterday in Vienna, uh, and basically there were three elements to it. One, he uh, condemned the um, you know, the, uh, the the new uh, policy approach, uh, explained how it's going to be counterproductive, et cetera, explained how they're not going to do anything under pressure from the United States. And of course, there's a long history there of you know, U.S.-Cuban relations. Uh, second, he talked about the inconsistencies of the Trump administration policy with Cuba, in contrast to other countries like Saudi Arabia, for example. Um, but then finally, he iterated uh, Cuba's strong interest in continuing to engage in a respectful fashion going forward. So I think the Cubans do want to continue to engage, uh, but they're not going to be pressured by the U.S. government. Ralph? I agree. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that the uh, the new policy approach by, by Donald Trump was merely a payback to a small portion of the Cuban community here in Miami uh, for, uh, the, you know, siding with him during the, the general election. Uh, but I, I will tell you that uh, the Ben Dixon poll here shows that 60% of Cubans down here in South Florida are in favor of lifting the embargo. Right. Um, th- you have two individuals that uh, make their living uh, on uh, propagating the anti-engagement uh, policy, and, and that is uh, Mario Diaz-Balart, and, and, uh, or Diaz-Balart, I should say, and, and uh, Marco Rubio. Uh, there is no rhyme or reason for this new policy uh, other than what I just said. What about lifting the embargo? What would it take in, in, in this day and age to be able to have that no longer on the books in your mind, Ralph? Let me tell you, I, I, I think that uh, the, the – and I've heard this before uh, – that the votes are there. Okay. It's a matter of – getting uh, someone to, uh, you know, put up the bill and and try and push it through. Um, Most of the companies in the United States uh, are wanting to lift the embargo. Um, You have, if you go to uh, Cuba and you go down any of the streets in Havana, uh, you have, you're rubbing shoulders with uh, people from California and the Midwest um, and, and the Northeast. Right. So, you know, everyone really wants to lift this embargo. Uh, we know that it has not been, it has had little to no effect other than to uh, prevent people from uh, a better quality of life. Um, 54 years they've been, uh, you know, singing the same song, which is, you know, keep the embargo going. We, we're almost there. We almost, we're almost breaking their back. Right. And the, these new policies are geared, they're 90s policies, quite frankly. Uh, let's reduce the amount of people that are going to go down there. Let's enforce the 12 exceptions. Uh, let's 
let's have a chilling effect on the, the amount of uh, tourism that goes down there and the amount of money that goes down there, and let's try and break their back all over again. Uh, they should be concentrated on North Korea or something like that, not Cuba. And I'm glad I mentioned this. The the This is a, a national security issue. Right. By virtue of less engagement with Cuba, you're opening the doors to Putin and his crew uh, to uh, open up, uh, reopen the, the uh, submarine base in Lourdes. And you have China and their crew to basically become the bank for... Uh, for uh, Cuba. We are the natural trading partners of Cuba. We, uh, this is a blip in history, these 54 years, if you want to look at it that way. We should lift that embargo. We should engage as much as we can. They're coming online with a new president, the first time in, in 54, 56 years mm-hmm. that Cuba is not going to be ruled by a Castro. Uh, we ought to be taking advantage of all of this. Gustavo? Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. Um, I mean, the simplistic answer to your question is that what, what Trump announced, which is the sanctions will be in place until all political prisoners are released, they're free and open elections, this freedom of expression, assembly, et cetera, et cetera. It's basically going back to what Helms Burton says, which is the, the law that codified the U.S. embargo about 20 years ago. But the Cubans have been very clear that they're not going to do that uh, if for no other reason because they're not going to succumb to that kind of pressure on the part of the United States. I think it's just fascinating, however, um, that we understand that all you know those folks, <clears throat> really a diminishing number of individuals who continue to want the embargo to be in place, um, all of the changes that the uh, the vast majority of the changes uh, that were made by the Obama administration, each one of them they condemned vociferously at the time, and yet those things, a lot of those things remain in place. Right. Diplomatic relations, the embassies are not going to be closed. You have bilateral agreements that were entered into. They promote you know, U.S. national security interests because of, the, for example, cooperation on on, law, on, on human trafficking or, or, or drug trafficking. The commercial flights will continue. Um, there will be uh, there was no mention whatsoever of Cuba returning to the to the list of state sponsors of terrorism. Uh, again, something was 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 condemned uh, by a number of people in the Congress. Uh, U.S. banks will continue may continue to offer credit cards, um, you know, for for use in Cuba. Uh, the category and foreign category of professional meetings will continue to exist. Uh, travel uh, by family members, remittances, <clears throat> which are basically unlimited, uh, those have not been touched. And again, these were these were huge issues uh, for the poor embargo folks at the time. Uh, and even rum and cigar will be able to be yeah. uh, imported into the United States uh, if you're traveling there. Again, this was a huge point of contention, uh, and yet all of this remains in place. The two changes were the ones that, that Ralph uh, mentioned. Uh, they are going to have a chilling effect. But what? I, but this is. I think what this goes to show is that there's been a sea change. Uh, I was um, I was impressed with an uh, interview Marco Rubio gave a few year, a few days ago. At least there was reporting at the Miami Herald that indicated that he was uh, frustrated that Trump, the President Trump, wasn't moving quickly enough. Uh, and he told the president that if he if, if the United States government were to rely on the bureaucrats, quote unquote, at the State Department, Commerce, et cetera, then no change in policy would take place because right. those individuals were you know, pro, uh, pro-trade and pro-engagement. This is a huge sea change. Four or five, certainly 10 years ago, those same bureaucrats never would have said anything about Cuba because that would have been the third, that's a third rail. Their careers would have been ended. So I think it's fascinating 
that right now the default is that, of course, we're going to continue to engage. So this battle will continue you know, forward uh, the, because I think it's in the best interest of the United States. There's also the, the political element of this moving forward and the fact that the recent announcement that Raul Castro is going to step down at the end of his term. And uh, from what I read, there's basically a, a hand-picked successor uh, to, uh, to take over when Raul Castro uh, does leave office, Gustavo. So uh, tell us a little bit more about how that process works and, and how does that impact the U.S.-Cuba relation going forward. So, uh, so Ro, Ro Castro announced uh, essentially that he would be stepping down on February 24th of next year. Uh, the Cubans have a system for choosing their um, uh, their, their next leader. Uh, they don't have uh, multiple parties like we do in this country. Many other countries they right. have a different kind of system. Uh, it's not exactly clear, however, who that leader is going to be. I think there is. Um, I think it's possible that someone other than you know, some of those obvious uh, names uh, would be selected. As a matter of fact, Will's daughter, <clears throat> about a month ago or so, raised some eyebrows. She was asked about that, and she said that, in fact, there may be some surprises, okay. uh, which intrigued a lot of people. Uh, but the process that just began, in fact, last week, uh, where you have uh, elections at the municipal level, then the provincial level, eventually at the national level, and then once the Cuban National Assembly is in place among their the leadership will be selected uh, that way. Ralph, go ahead. Yeah, um, they they do have Diaz Canal, which is about fifty eight, fifty nine years old. Um, both uh, Gustavo and I have met him. Uh, seems to be uh, progressively minded. Uh, I happen to think, and this is just my personal opinion that uh, these types of leaders in Cuba, including uh, Mariela Castro, uh, more progressive, more forward-looking. They are not the uh, Fidel regime-type mentality, uh, not so hardline. And the octogenarian group, which is their right wing, um, is the you know they're they're dying off or retiring off, and um, the, the, this new breed of uh, uh, nationalism is is coming in, uh, which serves as a perfect opportunity for uh, any congressman, any senator, or the president of the United States to take advantage of this and make changes. Um, it, make positive changes toward the island so that, uh, uh, you know, we can move forward rather than move backwards 20 years. Actually, Go ahead. I actually, I actually have not met him. However, <clears throat> uh, and I have no reason to think that in terms of his ideology, uh, you know, he is less of a socialist uh, than Fidel or Raul, except that, as Ralph says, I mean, he is a, represents a younger generation and most importantly, his last name is not Castro. Right. Yep. So from that perspective, I would I would think that it may open up opportunities for policymakers in the United States to think, all right, the, the people most associated with the excesses of the revolution, especially in the first 10 years, Fidel and Raul are out of the way. So let's take a fresh look at, at the leadership uh, you know, going forward. What do you think, though, in terms of the island and and built and the business element, Gustavo? What are the the most important elements that really need to be addressed first and foremost? 
in terms of uh, in, in terms of uh, you mean the opportunities or yes. the challenges uh, and, and, and potentially you know the, the the want of U.S. business to continue to move down there. I mean, what are the things that the Cuban people need the most right now? Well, to be frank with you, everything. <clears throat> you yeah. know, Cuba is a developing country in the, in the Caribbean. Eleven point two or or three or four uh, million people. They have significant um, uh, energy needs, um, they have infrastructure, housing, um, everything you, you, you know you can imagine. Um, and so there are great opportunities. The question is always going to be, of course, uh, how are they going to finance uh, any projects going forward? Um, you know, where's the money going to come from? Uh, they clearly don't have the money from their own domestic savings. Uh, they're not able uh, because of the embargo. They're not able to trade freely with the United States, which puts a significant crimp on their uh, on their on the revenue flows, of course, which is one of the intents of the of the embargo. Uh, but if that would open up, then you have more cash flows going into the country. Right. And of course, well, if if Cuba ever became a member of the World Bank or the Inter-American Development Bank, there would be you know, potentially significant funding uh, for all of those projects going forward. Ralph, I. Um, uh... I think that they they first need to Cuba needs to consolidate their monetary system. Uh, rather confusing, uh, and they're not going to get uh, major uh, world banks to to uh, finance anything until they they consolidate their monetary system. They know this. Uh, they're basically they're doing it with trepidation because. Um, it, it could have a, a tremendous effect on, on certain people. Uh, another thing that they need to do is uh, create an international or ensure that there's an international rule of law element to whatever business transactions uh, evolve in Cuba. Uh, for instance, uh, a, a General Electric creating a hydroelectric plant in Matanzas. Uh, needs assurances that uh, there won't be uh, an appropriation of of their investment at, in the, in the future. And lastly, like uh, Gustavo said, uh, they need financing, and uh, that is a linchpin to opening up Cuba. Uh, but in order to do so, we we have to lift the embargo, uh, abrogate uh, Helms Burton. Um, without financing, uh, everything else falls. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Gustavo. All the best. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Ralph Patino, attorney based in Miami and entrepreneur. Gustavo Arnava, senior uh, advisor on prosperity and development at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 